Hello everyone, I hope you are well. I'm Carlos Carnicero Uravallen and I want to welcome you all to Future is Blue, a series of podcasts bringing together top experts from academia and think tanks to discuss the most pressing European economic and policy challenges of today. This is a Funkas Europe initiative and we hope we can bring new ideas for a more inspiring debate about Europe. As the war in Ukraine has now gone on for over 100 days, its global economic consequences are becoming more and more visible and represent quite a concern for policymakers. Today we're here to analyze one of the most concerning consequences of the war, and I'm referring to a major food crisis affecting many of the world's most vulnerable populations. Ukraine is a major exporter of agricultural products, especially sunflower, oil and wheat. But due to the war, key export routes through the country's Black Sea ports are now blocked because of a de facto Russian naval blockade. This is driving prices up for grain and cooking oil, making imports less affordable in poorer countries and contributing together with rising energy crisis to a cost of living crisis even in rich economies, thereby further increasing the likelihood of a global recession. Now, to get some answers on what's really at stake here, let me introduce today's contributors. Lourdes Casanova is Gail and Rob Cañizares Director at the Emerging Markets Institute in Cornell University. Thank you for joining us, Lourdes. Thank you, uh, Carlos, for the invitation. You're welcome. And let me introduce you uh, to our regular contributor, Raymond Torres, Funkas Europe Director. Hello, Raymond. Hello, nice to join this panel. So, Lourdes, let's start with the basics. How bad is the current food crisis? Uh, some, they call it the revenge of the old economy. So, all of a sudden, we realized that the, the sanctions that were meant to uh, hinder uh, Russia's economy uh, are hurting all of us. And uh, so we realize that it has been repeated in the press and everywhere that uh, Ukraine and uh, Russia both are key in the exports of wheat, and you have mentioned in the introduction, and of course, of course, most importantly, oil and gas. Actually, what has happened also is that we tend to forget that Europe, US, and Japan have always traditionally um, give uh, subsidies to agriculture and also uh, so we 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 are kind of safe let's say we in Europe US and Japan I, I wouldn't say we are safe but we are safer but guess what many in the developing world cannot afford uh, subsidies to the agriculture they, they they simply don't have the resources and they need to import so Egypt uh, in, in many countries in the Middle East, Sub-Saharan Africa, uh, depend on the imports of wheat and, and, and others from Ukraine, barley, maize and others, and fertilizers, very important, from uh, Russia and Ukraine. And the situation is very, very difficult right now. 
as you are saying, Russian uh, is blocking some of the ports, but at the same time, Ukraine has put mines in the way to the ports. So they, uh, so the wheat cannot uh, reach the ports, and those that reach the ports cannot get out because of the blockage. And we have now presidents from African countries going and visiting uh, President Putin and asking him to find ways to unlock the situation. And hopefully, hopefully, some solutions will be fine will be found by train through eastern europe or other ways but we are in a very in for some countries in a very desperate situation thank you lourdes raymond what's your first assessment of uh, in terms of how bad this is um what's your first take on this yes i i very much share the uh, diagnosis of lourdes and i think that uh, this is threatening in the in a way the the world economy in fact but more specifically, the countries which rely the most on the impacts of basic food, uh, fertilizers, and other uh, basic items for, for, for human beings. And uh, for example, in, in some countries, food uh, together with energy make for more than 50% of the budget of a typical family. And both, <laughs> the prices of both are increasing exponentially. Uh, it's not only the question of the price, but even the security of the supply is in danger because of the geopolitical situation, the sanctions, counter sanctions, and together with, um, in a way, underinvestment in some cases in, in this sector, which, uh, you know, as, as Ruth said, she said, the range of uh, the old economy, the old economy also is, is one where there was underinvestment. And so I think all, all these together uh, is perfect uh, storm uh, for for a crisis in especially in import uh, countries which also uh, the irony is that they have uh, relied on the the view the vision that the multilateral system would provide through globalization food security uh, because in a way the interconnectedness between countries would would would, uh, would provide security because of trade liberalization and therefore they agreed to, in a way, liberalize uh, their uh, their you know their food sectors, and therefore rely more on, on imports. But the irony is that some advanced economies didn't do that to the same extent. We didn't mention, for example, Europe or, or the US, where there has been subsidies, uh, and so now the, the, these developing countries are in a situation where they don't have uh, uh, an internal uh, production capacity which they can replace quickly. They can mobilize quickly to replace imports. And in addition, they, they are facing very high import prices. So very difficult situation for these uh, developing countries, but also for advanced economies. The uh, low uh, income populations of advanced economies are also, also taking a hit. Well, thank you, Raymond. On, on, on the impact of the, um, on the developing economies and the emerging economies, is there really a risk of a severe crisis, Lourdes? What's your, if things doesn't change drastically in the short term, what's, the, what's your assessment? So I think all of us never imagined that the war would last so long. Also, in fact, what is happening is that the news about the war are not clear from both sides, from the Russian side, but also from the Ukrainian side. The, the, the president of Ukraine is trying to control the narrative. So there is no clarity of how long this war will last. We are now 100 days. And then uh, every country reacts the way they can. So, for instance, 
India uh, put some restrictions on, on wheat exports, Indonesia on palm oil, and also Malaysia on chicken. Malaysia is not exporting chicken uh, from uh, to, to Singapore, and then all of a sudden the crisis arrives in Singapore. So we have um, the data shows that 50 countries in the world depend on the imports of food, and 30% of the, of, the, of the food they consume is imported, 50 countries of the world. We have about 200 countries in the world, so one-fourth of them. And then also 26 of them depend for the food, for the needs that they have for feeding their populations into 50%, so a lot. And then also four fifths of the population of the country of the of the world, so four fifths, live in those countries. So the situation is very dramatic. And again, because of the lack of clarity of what is happening, the lack of clarity of how long this is going to last, so countries react. So again, I mentioned Indonesia. Indonesia stopped the. Uh, the exports of palm oil because of the rise of prices, and then they, 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 they opened again. So you have to be prepared for different scenarios for which we don't have clarity. And that's a big problem, I believe. That's, that's quite shocking what you said, Lourdes, is four-fifths of the population, of the global population living in countries that are particularly vulnerable in this situation. Uh, wow. Um, Raymond, anything to add in that regard? Yes, maybe I can talk about the one, the, the remaining one fifth, which is uh, the population living, living in relatively wealthy countries. Even there, uh, you have low income groups, which are also being very significantly affected by the, you know, the, the pickup in inflation, in particular food and energy inflation. Again, their budgets, uh, uh, you, know, you know, rely very much on those. Uh, their consumption basket is very much skewed towards those, those particular goods. And so even there, they, they are also suffering from this. The only the difference is that in the case of advanced economies, um, you know, the, the budget policy, fiscal policy can be mobilized in order to at least provide some relief for those you no know, income groups. Uh, the, 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 the problem is to do that and to do that, to have the, the, the fiscal space to do that. So and it, it seems that, you know, some advanced economies are having some trouble achieving that, also targeting properly the groups in question and providing sufficient fiscal support to the groups in question. So even in advanced economy, in, in, the, in the remaining one-fifth of the world population identified by Lourdes, there are difficulties and therefore um, there is a social malaise which is growing very significantly and affecting in a way the, uh, the whole public debate about the consequences of the, the war and more significantly more more generally, the consequences of the food crisis and the energy crisis, which are combined. Is is there are there any um, solutions here, reg regardless of the, the the as long as the war continues? Uh, is there a, can you envision any mechanism to stabilize prices or to because as Lourdes was describing, as as individual countries are taking measures uh, individually, the situation is getting worse. So is there room for an agreement, for an international agreement to, to take some measures to alleviate the situation, Lourdes? What do, you, what do you think? Changes that can be done. For instance, Indonesia is thinking to change. So Indonesia is importing wheat, but guess what? Let's have less wheat and more rice that is local. 
So this situation, the, the, these changes can be done. For instance, 40% of the wheat that we produce in Europe goes for feeding cows and other animals. And one third of the corn produced in the US goes for the same, has the same. So then change the way you, we feed the, the, the animals, the porks, the, the cows, etc. Change that for, uh, for uh, they can eat grass or other, other sources of energy, of other sources of uh, food. So that could be changes that can be done. But definitely, as we have seen uh, one or two days ago, one of the uh, representatives of the African Union traveled to Moscow to talk to, uh, to President Putin. So uh, for sure, negotiations will be needed uh, because all of a sudden we realize how central Russia and Ukraine were for the world economy because they export key ingredients. So I mentioned, we mentioned oil, gas, wheat, uh, maize, uh, oil seeds. So all these things we need to, we, these are essentials for, for, the, for the basic essentials for, for, all, for all, all as, as Raymond is saying, not only for the developing world, but also for the developed world. The World Bank has estimated that probably the effect on real income in the world will be uh, reduced by um, 0.74% and 1% in developing countries. So huge impact of the world in all of us, not only the developing world, but definitely will need a negotiation. The wheat in Ukraine has to go out one way or the other. And, and, and if the war continues as it is happening, so we need a way out and we, we will need to sit on the table because we realize uh, that all these changes, uh, so people are saying, okay, let's use fracking again in, in US instead of oil. You cannot change uh, industries, you cannot change sources of energy overnight. Uh, uh, energy transition takes a while. You cannot do that definitely so fast. So then we will need for sure uh, to negotiate and negotiations have started. So as I said, the, the representative of the African Union, I believe is still in Moscow uh, trying to negotiate, uh, negotiate a way out of this crisis. Yeah, Raymond, we had, we had COVID, now we, we started recovery, now we, ha we have this huge crisis ahead of us. Are we entering a recession irrevocably? Is this a trend that uh, it looks like it's going to stay and we're going to go back into recession too soon i think what's your what's your what are your thoughts yes well uh, first of all i would like to supplement a bit the the the, the, the previous question and say that uh, i think it would be useful to mobilize and i think that would help also uh, avoid uh, a recession a world recession to mobilize the countries that have the capacity to you know uh, produce and export relatively quickly some of the things which are uh, in, in scarce, uh, uh, in a situation of scarcity at the moment, like Argentina, uh, which has a lot of uh, potential, uh, but also in the Horn of Africa, there would be some potential and so on. But for that to happen, you need uh, also, the, you need an element of uh, a horizon, a time horizon for those countries to make the necessary investments because it doesn't happen overnight. There's certainly an incentive for them to increase their exports but uh, uh, in addition to that, you need the agreements, the trade agreements, and you need the horizon, the relatively, sta uh, relatively stable horizon for them 
to make the investments in, in port capacity and so on uh, to in order to reach the, the other countries, for example, countries in Northern Africa, which are suffering a lot. So this is extremely important, I would say very urgent. Otherwise, I think in response to your question, Carlos, I would say, uh, the, uh, do, do we avoid a recession? I mean, it's, it's partly not entirely under the control of anybody. Uh, well, I would say it's, it's partly uh, depending on geopolitics, and so the, which is what makes the situation particularly difficult to predict, uh, uh, because it depends sometimes on the decision of almost individual people uh, on what happens, or, and also the sanction mechanisms and so on. But uh, well, uh, provided that the the worst case geopolitical scenario doesn't happen, some people even talk about the the possibility of another conflict in, in around Taiwan and so on. But provided this doesn't happen, I believe it should be possible to the world through wise policy response to avoid uh, another recession after so soon after the pandemic. And for that to happen, I think we need not only the necessary, you need an intelligent fiscal response to, to this crisis, which again compensates particularly in con uh, the low-income groups and the most affected enterprises in advanced economy, economies where they have the capacity. You need also these arrangements with developing countries so that uh, simply, uh, you know, uh, in a situation where uh, they, they, they have to, have to face very significant import bills. I mean, this is uh, time to rethink about the uh, debt, their debt situation, in particular when some of their debt, because in addition to the food and, and energy crisis, the dollar is being appreciated and therefore they are facing the risk of a, a debt crisis in addition to this. So I think it's very important that the, the policy-making community, they, they, do, they find the necessary arrangements so that this doesn't happen, this debt crisis, which would plunge those countries into a recession and possibly have second-round effects on others as well. So I, th I would say uh, we have the possibility and the means to avoid uh, a recession at the world level. But we have to be very careful in terms of the internal policy responses, the international ones, and also think very carefully whenever there is um, uh, in this game between geopolitics uh, to avoid, for example, like happens now with the oil restrictions to Russia. I mean, it's natural that uh, one thinks about that, but to ban entirely Russian oil uh, going through tankers is a way this will necessarily lead to a uh, a significant fall in world supply, uh, uh, which will increase the prices. Uh, uh, there will be a further round of increases in prices. So I think uh, we, we, you know, this has to be uh, considered carefully, the sanctioned uh, strategy, so that we don't fall in this trap of sanctions and counter-sanctions, which would indeed lead to possi a greater possibility of a world recession. Side. There are some quite side effects of sanctions, and, and uh, you describe them very well. Um, like what you said about the wise policy response can avoid another recession. I think uh, we are coming to an end, unless Lourdes want to add something very, uh, very quickly, but otherwise we're coming to an end. But I'm sure Lourdes has always so much data to enlighten us that I, I just wanted to check before I close the podcast, because I know you follow this topic so closely. Uh, anything to add, Lourdes? Well, I fully agree with Raymond. Uh, again, it's not that we have forgotten the energy transition, but energy pool is extremely complex and definitely the oil and gas from, from Russia are central 
and, and, and we need to, it's a very difficult uh, moment uh, because of the geopolitics involved, but we need to definitely uh, be, uh, I, I couldn't agree with Raymond more that we need to, to think of that long term. Long term. That's why what we try to do here in the Future is Blue podcast, we try to see uh, the, the long term trends. And um, I want to thank you both, uh, Lourdes Casanova, uh, Gail and Rob Cañizares, director at the Emerging Markets Institute in Cornell University. Thank you, Lourdes, for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. And Raymond Torres, as usual. Thank you very much, Raymond, Funkas Europe director. Thanks. A pleasure to share this panel with Lourdes as well and to you, with you, Carlos. Thank you all for joining. This was all for now. We will come back soon with more exciting speakers on Europe's economic and policy-related key debates. Future is Blue is a Funcas Europe initiative. I'm Carlos Carnicero Ravallen, and if you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to recommend it to others and share it on social media. Thank you all and stay well.